how you need to communicate changes depends on what medium you're using to do it. This can be especially important to remember when you're recording conversations with your guests via video, but are only going to be releasing the audio. You have to make sure that you're verbally communicating anything that adds meaning to the conversation, like gestures or describing surrounders and so on. My guest on the show today is an expert at different kinds of audiovisual communication, and we had a good podcast lesson style introduction. A few months ago, I saw a really interesting article on LinkedIn about video strategy for podcasting, and I reached out to the author. I was then delighted to become acquaintance with Maribel Casada-Smith, a bilingual podcast producer with 16 years of experience developing meaningful content for networks like Discovery, Netflix, and A&E. She's the co-host and producer of the Pulso podcast and the co-founder of the BIPOC podcast creators. Maribel joins me today to talk about editing, scripting, recording, and how to work really well with editing producers and more. And did you know just how scripted reality TV really was? I had no idea. So she's sharing a little bit of insider knowledge, and it's all happening today on the Business Podcast Blueprint Show. Maribel, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm glad to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. Perfect. So to get things off right away, if there is a podcast out there in the ether that may not exist in the real world yet, what would it be? What would kind of your dream podcast to listen to be? I actually was thinking that I shouldn't share that answer with you because all of those (laughs) ideas are like future shows. Okay. And I've already like designed them in my head. So no, I'm not giving them away (laughs) to anybody. (laughs) If it doesn't exist and I really want it to exist, I'm going to have to make it happen. Absolutely fair play. Let's try something different. What is the first podcast you ever remember listening to? Great question. (laughs) Dang, it's been so long. I think one of the first podcasts that I listened to consistently, I'm going to sound so cliche, but it was Serial. That was one of the ones that I listened to consistently. I listened to a few others when I was researching how to make a podcast. Mm -hmm. But that's the one that I remember that I was actually just listening for enjoyment. (laughs) Mine was kind of similar. My first one that I was really like, this is a great thing was Lore, the Aaron Mankey podcast. Yeah, that yeah. storytelling style is, is so interesting. That's my thing, too. I love storytelling. So I think that's what got me. I was like, oh, this is what podcasting can be. This is kind of cool. But I also have listened to other shows that are more interview based like this mm-hmm. one. And I love them. I mean, there are so many out there, obviously. But that's a hard question because I'm pretty sure that I listened to like 50 when I was first starting. It's like the first time you kind of get you become aware of it as a new medium, like it feels like this candy store full of almost unlimited options of what you can listen to. Yeah. Have you noticed as you get more, because I know you, I mean, you work in the industry, you create podcasts and all sorts of other, other fantastic media. I know doing that myself has made me a total audio snob. <laughs> <laughs> do you listen to shows? Do you find yourself at work when you're trying to listen for pleasure now? And you're like, mm, they didn't balance that, right? Do you have that kind of experience? Yeah. I'm glad that I'm not alone. We should have a little support group for the audio snobs of the world. And I'm not even that bad. I'm a lot, probably a lot more easygoing Mm -hmm. than some of the producers that I work with. But yes, I do find myself sometimes distracted by things like echo when balancing, when they don't balance correctly. Mm -hmm. And I have to keep turning it up for one person and turning it down for the other person. That really irks me. Another thing that really irks me is voice fry, and which I do that. Sometimes we're sometimes guilty of the things that bother us. So voice fry irks me. Upspeak. Upspeak. Some people call it upspeak. So that's a very dangerous zone topic sometimes (laughs) because upspeak can be 
a thing for a lot of people in certain areas of the country that's like part of their pride, how they talk. But to me, when people are up speaking on a podcast consistently, because mm -hmm. I, again, I do that too. And it's okay to up speak here and there. But when it's a consistent thing, that's like every other word or every sentence. It's very distracting for me because it seems like they don't really know if they're sure of what they're saying. So it makes me kind of makes me feel like maybe they don't know if they're actually meaning what they say. <laughs> yeah, that's a really challenging one too. For a lot of cases, it's just it's part of dialect. That's what I'm saying. That's why it can be a controversial topic. And there have been some controversial topics out there in the Twitter sphere lately when it comes mm -hmm. to how women should speak in podcasts. I've got a hack for that. It's just wrong. And just, just, just take that on board and get on with your day. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, next topic. <laughs> there are serious, like, it's a point of, of important discussion, but you're never going to please everybody. <laughs> no, you're not. That's the thing at the end of the day. So I think it's really all about preference when mm. it comes to being an audio snob. I don't know if it's necessarily that I'm an audio snob. I think that sometimes I'm just so used to listening to so many people that mm -hmm. I become aware of the little things that can be annoying when you have headphones on half the time. Yeah, and it's the curse of knowledge too, right? Like if it doesn't occur to you that, oh, actually, you know, that echo is an issue that could be fixed with a couple of drapes and a little sound treatment in the room that it would yeah. just be, oh, that recording is taking place in an echoey place. That doesn't matter at all. But now you're like, oh, no, no, I'd send that back to a client. We can't work with that. <laughs> Exactly. When that side takes over, then it's like, I can't enjoy this podcast anymore. Yeah. The dangers of working in the profession. And I know in uh, kind of within the, the audio visual realm, you don't just work with audio, you've also worked in video. I'd love to hear a little bit about and for you to share with everyone listening a little bit about your career and the types of media that you work with. I work with a lot of video. So <laughs> that's pretty easy to imagine, right? To visualize. But what I came up in the documentary world. So I spent a lot of years working on long form documentaries. And then later on in television, I did short form, what we called short form in television, which mm -hmm. is like 30 minute shows and some of them an hour. So I worked on a lot of <laughs> docu-reality shows mm -hmm. where you'll see these shows on the Discovery ID network, or I think now they just call it ID. This is how removed I am from it. I don't remember if they changed the name or not. I did stuff for sci-fi, TLC, like different networks out there, mm -hmm. A&E. And that kind of really got me interested in the form of storytelling that is more verite. So true form, you know, not necessarily as scripted. Because I will say this, one thing that most people don't realize is that every single television show out there is scripted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even the ones that say or call themselves unscripted. <laughs> it's the world that I come from. I come from the unscripted world, right? But in reality, there is scripting and mm -hmm. there are two ways of doing it. The true documentarians that I've worked with, they go out and shoot everything and then come back and then go through every single piece of footage and select yeah. how they're going to tell the story. When I worked in television, I did a lot of pre-writing and we in, in general would pre-write sound bites and scripts and what we call shooting scripts. And then we'd go out and aim to get that specific information from the subject or whatever situation we were in. And then we would come back and on, you know, rearrange because you can't always get exactly what you're looking for. Right. But you go out there knowing ahead of time, you're like basically predetermining what they're going to say. 
I can get into the weeds about that. But basically what I'm trying to say is every show on television is scripted, whether you like to believe it or not. <laughs> I'm trying to take that on board. I knew there was editing and like, you know, there was cherry picking and selecting and careful, you know, curation of what we were seeing in that kind of, because I love that type of, of show. That's one of my favorites to watch it. I didn't know it was quite that planned in advance. And I kind of feel like I've got to question a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things I had, oh, I had held yeah. true. <laughs> of course. I mean, most of them. It's very rare. You have to think about one thing. Mm -hmm. Production is all about thought, right? Yeah. It's about process and thought. Every single thing that you see on television in a show has been predetermined. It's been thought of. Somebody mm -hmm. has wanted it there. There's a reason why it's there. And so you can't help it when you're producing a show, you're trying to control the outcome because you know that the audience is looking for specific types of outcomes. No matter what type of show it is, it could be a conflict reality series, you know, one of the housewives shows. You already know your producers are looking for that conflict. So mm -hmm. they're setting up scenarios. They're pushing different types of things to be said. They're placing the characters in positions where they can say things in a certain way or be heard by certain people. And they're infusing the drama into it. So yes, they're not necessarily telling them, hey, Susie, you're going to say this line, but they are underneath telling them or helping them say that line, if that makes sense. Setting the stage, basically, for exactly yeah. what they want to happen. Oh, very. So that's so interesting. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that kind of insider knowledge. <laughs> I hate to break some people's hearts. Sorry. <laughs> it is better to have the truth. It's better to know. <laughs> so when did you move into podcasts or more audio work? Kind of when and why did you start adding that to your roster? So I did podcasting in 2008. I wow. had to do a podcast. Yeah, I know. A long time ago. <laughs> I had to do a podcast back when there were no, there was no easy way to host. I had to figure out how to write the RSS feed. I had to like upload it and create it. And I can't even tell you how I did it. I don't know, but it took me like three days to figure it out of constant research. So I did a podcast then and I kind of loved it. I enjoyed the reporting side of it because I was mm -hmm. actually on the microphone. As a producer, especially in video, I'm rarely in the actual content. Mm -hmm. Most of the stuff that I, that I produce, I'm not in it, right? I have nothing to do with it. This is not about me. This is about what somebody else wants or what we want, but somebody else will be in it. And the thing about podcasting that got me interested was just the quick way of storytelling. I think we were doing like five-minute episodes. That got me intrigued. But then, like I said, because it was so hard to get into it and really difficult for me to devote the time to understand the medium at that point. I just kept with video. That's my first love. So I kept on with that, kept growing in my career. And then in 2018, I decided to do my own podcast because I was writing. I, was, I had a blog for a while and people liked reading it. But then a lot of my friends would be like, it'd be easier if I could just listen to it, you know? <laughs> so I was like, well, how do I do that? Oh, I can just put it in podcast form. So I created a podcast called Diferente, and that was my shoe back in the game, right? That's how I came back mm -hmm. into the fold of things. From Diferente sparked another idea for Birdies Not BS, which was a golf podcast that I produced for three years. I was not in that one because I am uh, not very good at golf, <laughs> but I enjoy the game and I wanted a way to help other people who are interested in the game or are playing the game for fun. I wanted to help those people like me, you know, the people mm -hmm. that are like, I don't want to listen to all these boring voices. I want to listen to someone more interesting and I want to get the information fast and in a more modern take. So I produced that show. We did three seasons. It was great. 
got great reception on that. And through that production, I started really getting into the world of podcasting, started speaking at podcast movement, making relationships, you know, meeting other people. And then I started consulting another podcast. And now I help produce a podcast called The Pulso Podcast. And I'm also a co-host on that podcast as well. It's interesting because podcasting has helped me go back to something that I always really enjoyed and wanted to do, but never really tried, which was being actually on the mic or in front of a camera. And podcasting has brought me into that world again. I'm co-hosting and then I'm also doing videos now for Squadcast FM. So it's just funny how like podcasting brought me back into the talent side of things, yeah. if you want to call it that. I'm putting air quotes up for those <laughs> who are not watching this. And it's just funny that like it's full circle. When I was going to college, I originally wanted to be a broadcaster. And then I ended up being in production, studying production, and I stayed behind the camera for many, many years or away from the mic. And now I'm doing both. And I honestly love, I enjoy it. I love doing both. That's fantastic. It's so great that you get kind of joy and pleasure out of both sides. Like for my own part, I'm very much a reluctant podcaster. I've been creating shows for clients for five years before I ran out of excuses not to have our own show. <laughs> so it's been really fun to do it. But like the idea of being the talent, being on screen or on air, it's just like, oh, that brings me no joy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I first started, I don't know if this happened to you, but my hands would sweat. Mm -hmm. And this was before we were doing any kind of video component to it. It was just audio. Sometimes it would just be me recording the open. And I would be like, oh, oh yeah. my God. <laughs> There's something really almost unsettling about kind of the blank screen and you and a mic moment when it says you have to kind of start talking and start creating this content out of virtually nothing. It is a little nerve wracking. You, you know why I think I used to get so nervous now that I think about it? I forgot that I could edit. Ah. I really felt like I had to deliver perfectly every single mm -hmm. line and everything had to be perfectly, you know, synced and the conversation had to flow a specific way, I completely forgot that there's this wonderful, magical thing called the edit suite <laughs> that you can edit your audio and make it sound amazing. You can change things around. You can cut out what doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You can bring in new things. You can do new takes yep. if you need to. You know, you can do pickups. That's what we call when we have to re-record something and replace something else. So that's something that I think a lot of people forget and why a lot of people get nervous in front of the mic mm -hmm. <laughs> or in front of the camera. I think it's definitely true that whole like this very common fear of stage fright going up and speaking live in front of people. That sort of pressure doesn't exist in podcasting except basically within our minds or if it's being broadcast live, which is a whole other kettle of fish. That's why at the beginning when we started, which the audience didn't mm -hmm. catch this, but before you press record, Megan, I was like, is this going to be edited? Because some people don't edit their podcast. And well, I have a lot to say about that. <laughs> That's for another show. Should we prepare a soapbox? Would you like a moment to, to expound? We can do that. <laughs> it helps you know, right? Hey, I can stop what I'm saying right now when mm -hmm. I messed up and tell the editor, here, I'm going to take this again. Yeah, exactly. Let me take that again. The best advice I can give anybody out there that's starting podcasting or that's nervous about podcasting, all you have to do is this. Let me take that again. Mm -hmm. And then say it again. And then your editor or whoever's helping you, or maybe you, you know exactly what you need to cut out and redo. <laughs> and once you develop a really good relationship with your editor, all you have to do is curse. <laughs> and then try it again. <laughs> and 
the understanding of what to do will be implied. <laughs> I do that too. But yeah. mostly I have to go, let me take that again. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So having a lot of experience in both worlds, you know, behind the scenes as the talent, what do you think some of the major differences in creating content for video and creating content for audio are? Again, you have really good questions. Well, and I you. really appreciate you, Megan, for that because you put thought into this. The biggest differences, I think, are not necessarily in the storytelling. I was thinking about this yesterday, like it's not really in the storytelling. The easiest answer I can give you is lighting. You don't <laughs> have to worry about lighting when you're doing audio only. If you're doing a podcast that has a video component to it, yes, you got to worry about lighting. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest difference, honestly. But other things are, I think you have to remember that people aren't watching you. So mm -hmm. even if you are doing a video podcast and there's an audio component to it and there's a video component to it, there mm -hmm. are people who prefer to listen and those people are not watching. So that's why earlier when I was doing the air quotes, I had to describe that. Okay, so for those of you listening, I'm doing air quotes right now because it's important to what I'm saying. It has relevance to what I was trying to say. The message that I was trying to convey would not come across the same if I wasn't doing the air quotes. And if the audience doesn't know that I'm doing air quotes, they might take what I say very literal and then they're not going to get it. So you have to remember that. If they're not watching you, you got to remember to let them know what they may be missing or they might be missing of the story that you're telling that visual component. That's one of the biggest things in lighting. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. It reminds me of back when television was in black and white and often reporters are on the news, they would have to describe the color of like what people were wearing. What a big difference that would make in terms of how people understood. It came up thinking about the Kennedys when they were, they were going in and people would have to say, oh no, actually Jackie's dress is blue. That was a super interesting Never detail to be. that conveyed. Yeah. Never thought about that. And that is such a good point. You have to do that also for podcasting. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. That is really good. I think that's something that's easy to forget, especially when you're recording, because um, most recording happens when you do have video. I can see you, you can see me, and we can relate dynamically in that way. And the people listening do not have the benefit of that. <laughs> exactly. So you have to remember that. And another thing is you have to explain certain things differently to people when they're not watching you or they're not used to or if they're only listening and they've never watched you, let's say you came from video and you're now doing a podcast. A lot of people are doing that. They're crossing over to podcasting. They are maybe celebrities of some sort and they've been doing video for a long time. They forget that they might have some new listeners who don't really know them that well. Mm -hmm. And so you almost have to reintroduce yourself, present yourself in a different way, describe certain things about you that they are not going to see. If you're someone who's very animated visually, but they don't see that, that doesn't come through the mic. And if you don't push that through the mic, or if you don't explain certain things like, oh, well, I'm someone who speaks with my hands a lot. That's actually me. I do speak with my hands a lot. If you don't know that about me, and for some reason it's relevant to the way that I'm telling you a story, the audience that are listening, they're not going to catch that. Just little things that help people connect with the story better. You have to remember, like, what's going to help people connect with the story better? There's something that people often forget. They get into these conversations and they talk very inside baseball. They're like, oh, Megan, remember that time where you and I were blah, 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 blah. Oh, that was hilarious. But we don't go into it, right? The listeners don't know us like that. Or they might not care, which is another truth <laughs> that we have to live with. They might not care about our personal lives that much. They're here for the information. But if I am going to go into a detail that's more personal, then I need to give context. 
And remember that most people don't know what I'm talking about when I go mm-hmm. into something personal or something more inside, you know, some kind of inside joke that we might have. They're not going to get it. So we have to have like code switch explained it really well. They call it an explanatory coma, you know, where you like pause and explain, give a little bit of background, a little bit of context on what something might be, what you might be discussing so that the people listening can feel a little bit more in tune with what you're saying and more invited to your conversation. That's also something that's important. I think regardless of video or audio, but it's specifically important to podcasting. No, I think you're absolutely right. And we'll, we'll link to that Code Switch episode in the show notes because it's a great show and that's a really great way of explaining. And I'm really glad you brought up the whole idea of, you know, there are going to be people listening who don't know us as well. Because so often we talk about the other side of it where your audience, they do start to feel like they know you in a really close, really personal, really intimate way. But, you know, so it's kind of knowing that and operating on that basis it is kind of hard to remember sometimes that there are going to be strangers listening who need that level of explanation to feel connected. Well, do most people put out their episodes in chronological order? Is your newest episode the one at the top? What would you say? Yes? Newest. Yes. Newest at the top. Yes. yes. Right? If I search for your podcast, the newest episode is going to be at the top. Another thing that people forget is that they're not reintroducing themselves often enough. Just like mm. you said, you might have a new listener tuning in. If I go to your show... I am more likely to listen to the most recent episode. Mm-hmm. That's just the fact because I'm lazy and I'm not going to try to scroll all the way through, right? So I'm going to click on the first one to see if I like it. There needs to be some kind of reintroduction to who you are or what the topic is for the podcast. Let's say it's not about you. That's fine. But remind me again why I should listen to the show and what I'm getting from listening. So that's why I think intros are really important. And a lot of people will let go of them and just kind of after a few years be like, eh, I'm not doing the intro anymore. I'm just doing music. Okay, so what about the new listeners? We'll be right back in just a moment. And now back to the show. Do you think there is an issue of balance there of, of, you know, not being too repetitious for the people who have been listening to you for years and also giving enough information for people who are new? What kind of considerations would be giving that? Okay. So over last week, I had COVID and I was binging Friends, Mm -hmm. who a lot of people know and are very familiar with and know exactly what the show is about. What do you do when the intro plays? If you watch Friends? You probably Do you fast forward? You do fast forward. Right? You can fast forward. You can skip an intro. So Okay. I've been watching Friends for, the, the show's been around for 20 some years. If you're familiar with it, you already know what the intro looks like, what mm-hmm. it sounds like, and what the show is about. So if you're watching it again, or if you're watching a new episode, let's say there was a new episode of Friends, I would just hit skip. There's something on your app called fast forward 10 seconds, fast forward 30 seconds. You click that button and you're through the intro. I think the key is don't make the intro too long. If your intro is going on a minute, it's way too long. Mm -hmm. Your intro should be like 30 seconds. Again, if you've been on the if you've been around for a while and you have a lot of devoted listeners, then there's no reason why you should have an intro longer than 30 seconds. Absolutely no reason for that. But hey, for the new listeners, you still need an intro Mm -hmm. of some sort, some sort of explanation of what they're going to get out of your show. Right. And for everybody else who's been listening for years and doesn't really care to listen to it again, you hit the skip button. Fair enough to give the people the credit for doing that. I think that's <laughs> a good point. <laughs> that's how I would solve the issue. And I think like most people are not going to stop listening to your show because you have an intro. Excellent point. I appreciate how clear that is as a response. It's just like, no, have an intro. <laughs> Absolutely do that. 
especially with people who are starting a show and they're thinking about, you know, they're restarting after a break or they're starting out for the first time. You want that kind of definitive answer. It's really nice. Exceptionally well-reasoned. I mean, it's the reason why you look at a menu when you go order food. Mm -hmm. You want to know what you're going to get. There's nothing more annoying than ordering something that you're not really sure what's going to happen. And then you get something that's like completely different from what you had a taste for that day. It's fantastic when you get this awesome surprise, when you get something that you never thought you would like, and it's great. But more times than none, people want to know. Like they want to know, okay, if I ordered this sandwich, it's going to come with turkey and lettuce and tomato and ham or whatever. And you already know kind of what that tastes like. So the same thing happens with podcasts. You want to know what you're going to get. Like, what is the point of me spending 30 minutes with you or an hour with you? Tell me at the top. Give me some sort of insight into what I'm going to get out of this so that I can stick around for the rest. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you very much for that. Well, I wanted to think a little bit because you've had, you've had many interesting experiences career-wise. You've produced and created content for really big networks, really large organizations, presumably with lots of humans involved in the production of them. And, you know, you've also had total control over your own projects and, you know, I think worked with individuals or smaller organizations. I'd love to hear from you a little bit kind of what the differences are in creating this kind of content within a really large organization and then on, you know, a much smaller basis. How have those kind of experiences been? I think that one of the biggest differences from big to small scale I will say is that you have more people and when you have more people, you can divide the roles a lot easier and you have more expertise. So when you have a a full production, you have people whose expertise is lighting. You have people whose expertise is audio, people whose expertise is editing, expertise directing, expertise wardrobe, expertise makeup. And those things count for something. When you have experts working in specific scenarios of the production, you're going to get the best result because they are experts. In a smaller situation, when you're producing for yourself or you're, if you're a content creator and you're making everything yourself, you don't have the expertise of all the things. It's impossible. Nobody does. And so you do what you can with what you have. But I think that's an easy answer. Most people are going to be like, duh, Maribel, we know weaker productions have bigger budgets. They can afford the experts, blah, blah, blah. But There are other things that are different, but I will say this. I want to focus on the thing that is very much the same. And that is on both ends of the spectrum, successful productions and successful content creators have this in common. They are consistently creating. That is the biggest denomination. That's the biggest thing they have in common. They're consistent about creating. And that's what makes them successful. Because the determination of success can be so broad. Everybody has their own. And That could be a big audience, it could be awards, it could be other things. But that's the biggest thing that's going to keep them in the game and that's going to keep them growing. And it's the biggest thing that keeps people from growing as well. Okay, so be kind of like looking at it, say it's like a company who's doing a podcast, that thing that they do have in common with, you know, a larger content is going to be, you know, they're showing up every week and they're making it happen and they're recording the interview and then they're getting it out there. Or is there kind of another way of looking at that consistency, is it the creative process that's more important regardless of the output or is it consistency kind of on one project? So basically, is it the act of creation that's really important to be consistent at or the particular thing that you're creating? Oh, that's interesting. So you're not saying like if you have a podcast, it's about consistently creating episodes for the podcast. It might be you're consistently creating for the podcast, maybe making some videos for social media, things like that. I guess so. Yeah, I'm just kind of exploring the idea because I think you introduced a really 
interesting and important point is that, you know, what someone who feels like maybe they don't even deserve to play in this field has exactly in common with the biggest players is that consistency. So I'm just kind of wondering what forms that consistency can take. So you have to be consistent about making time to create. You have to be consistent about sitting down and writing down your ideas, organizing them, creating that editorial calendar, production schedule, whatever you want to call it, and organizing yourself. Then you have to be consistent about recording. You have to be consistent about getting better at your skills, so practicing those skills. You have to be consistent about the way you edit. So you have to have some kind of process for how Mm -hmm. you edit your episodes. My favorite word. You have to be consistent about putting them out. You have to be consistent about promoting. So Mm -hmm. I guess, yeah, consistency kind of goes across the board in the process part of it. But what I was trying to say in a general sense is that you have to consistently push yourself to make stuff. You have to consistently put stuff out there, whether it's a new episode of your podcast, a new video for reels, you know, a new tweet thread with good information for your followers, a new blog post. You have to be consistent about the information you're putting out there. And you also have to be consistent about sticking to what you know, what your brand is, who you are. Don't talk about food today and feet tomorrow. Those were the two words that came to mind. (laughs) The two F words. (laughs) I'm just saying, like, don't confuse your audience because that's really like, that's hard when people are like, Oh, my show is about life. What? <laughs> life is so complex. Life is everything. What are you talking about? Your show is about life. Or it's a lifestyle show. What? <laughs> we used to have an, an a place what I used to work. lifestyle? We had a running joke. We were in a teaching audience building and on an online uh, course creating mostly. And the, the joke was about 50% of starting niches were wellness for people. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's very broad. And we work down from there. (laughs) (laughs) But it's a good place to start, right? That's what I mean by consistency. It it has a lot of different aspects to it. But the main thing is like you're putting stuff out there Mm -hmm. regularly that has to do with what you know and what your audience expects of you. That's what I mean with being on brand. If your audience expects to hear about food, you should be talking about food. But if your audience expects to hear about feet, then you should be talking about feet. So (laughs) that's great. Where should people prioritize their investment in making this content? And I think you've said it extremely eloquently. It's in you know showing up and doing it and being consistent about creating it and putting the stuff out there. And importantly, being on topic enough that you kind of create that relationship of expectation that you can then fulfill. Yeah. On. Don't even worry about buying an expensive camera or an expensive microphone if you haven't prepared yourself for being able to deliver consistently on whatever you're going to be talking about. If you don't have any kind of organization or process set up for you to be able to consistently put out content, then don't spend the money yet. Focus on organizing yourself enough to be able to create consistently and then go ahead and invest in your equipment. It's important, absolutely, but it's not going to make or break you if you haven't dominated that first part. That's one of the biggest things that producers do really well. The difference between content creators and producers are that producers do everything, every single part of the process, very well. They're exceptional at going from pre-production to production to post-production, and they're doing it on repeat and they have processes set up to be able to do that for all kinds of clients and all kinds of companies. Content creators are usually independent people, solo person creating something that's about them or around a subject that they care about and it's for their audience and they're in it. Usually a content creator is in the work itself. 
And they're not necessarily so bogged down with process because whatever happens is all in their head. So they don't need to necessarily be training other people to help them or they don't need to work with other teams. So those are some of the biggest differentiators for, for that. But yeah, you got to stay consistent. I'd love to dig into that some more, actually. And that kind of preparing yourself to do a really good job creating content. And I mean, you mentioned you know, having a producer and it's great if you can hire a producer or a third party service provider of some kind to take kind of it, some of it over. So if someone is going to hire help, which is, you know, a lot of people listening aren't going to do things in house, they're going to hire someone like one of us to, to help them get their content out there. But what does getting ready to create content consistently mean? Like, how can someone really set themselves up for success, whether they are going to be doing it all the in-house or hiring an, an expert to help them? How do they get ready for that? Well, I'll tell you one thing, because earlier you asked me about how comparing big productions to small productions or to being an independent creator. I thought about this a lot more, and I was thinking that something that can carry over. So all the work that I've done for Netflix, Oxygen, A&E, all these networks, all of that carries over for me in, in even smaller productions with preparation. Like one of the, the words that carries over for me in, in whatever size production I work on is preparation. For example, I never, ever, ever show up on set with a piece of equipment. Well, I don't necessarily carry equipment myself because I'm usually working with experts who, have, who bring the equipment, but my team doesn't show up with a piece of equipment that they've never worked on before or never worked with before. They're not unpacking something for the first time on set, preparing to use this microphone for the first time that they don't know how to use yet, right? That is a big mistake that a lot of people make. They show up unprepared to use the equipment that they have, or they're using a microphone for the first time on an interview with someone and they've never even tested it out. Testing is such a big part of production. Always also pre-production calls are so important and people laugh at this because they're like, nobody wants to do it. People don't have time. But the thing is, the less time you spend preparing, the less time you waste recording. So like if you spend more time preparing for the recording, whether you're doing video or audio, you're going to waste less time in the recording session. You're going to do it faster. And that helps your editing process. So that actually carries over to your post-production process because then you're giving your editor or yourself less work at the end if you come prepared. Megan, you did a great job by sending me those questions ahead of time. I was able to think some things through. I was able to come up with new things that I wanted to share. But at the same time, our conversation hasn't been fixed on those questions. We've, we're going in and out. We're coming back to them. But you're adding new things. We're having a conversation. It's great. That's preparation. Now your editor has less work to do because we've delivered on what you're trying to get across with this episode. You're probably going to tell your editor, cut this. You know, we need to move this out and this needs to be shorter. That's fine. But at the end of the day, you're not having to construct an episode out of nothing because you came unprepared and you weren't sure what I was going to say. Because you did your research, you had an idea of what I was going to come back with. And that's so key in this work. Well, thank you for that. I love in uh, getting ready for shows. I mean, that's part of what I really enjoy about the whole process is thinking about, okay, I want to get this information for my audience that I don't have myself. So who do I know or who can I find or who is out there doing something really great in that area? And can I ask them nicely enough that they'd be willing to come in and share a little of their time and, and their information with us and with, with the community here? So thank you for being generous with your time and, and joining us here. Absolutely. This has been wildly fascinating. And we have spoken now for about 40 minutes. 
on the raw and it I've enjoyed absolutely every minute. I was thinking, do you by any chance have a class? I feel like I'd love to take your class. <laughs> so funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> I am working on that. That's extremely exciting. Yeah, a lot of people have asked me about that because I work with content creators. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily have the budget for a full production, but they want to get better at their mm-hmm. process or they want to get better at creating, at storytelling, or maybe they want to be better on the mic or on camera. And all of these things I can help people with. But I've realized that the best way to help people is to put together some sort of class that they can then watch mm-hmm. on their own and then follow along with some guided instruction that I can provide. So it's definitely in the works. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because I'm excited that it's something we're working on and I've been working on for a while now. It's not coming out this year mm-hmm. <laughs> because there are a lot of things on my plate right now that other projects that, that are taking precedent, but it is something that's coming out next year. I will definitely let you know so that you can let your listeners know if, if you don't mind sharing that. I would be ready. delighted to. And, you know, thanks to the magic of asynchronous audio communication, we can even come back to these very show notes and add the link when it is available. So it'll be. <laughs> and for now, you can go to maribelqs.com, sign up for my newsletter, and I will let you know as soon as it's ready. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, we can wrap things up. And I'll thank you so much again for taking the time. This has been fantastic. I really appreciate all of the knowledge that you've shared. I've taken copious notes that we'll be integrating into some of our processes. And I can't wait to connect with you again. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. All right, let's answer a question for this week. What day of the week should I release my podcast episodes? Almost as soon as you decide to podcast, you need to decide when you want your episodes to release. And if you want to go really, really high level, the day or time you release doesn't matter as long as you pick a particular schedule and you stick to it. From the State of Business Podcasting Report results last year, we do know that Tuesday and Wednesday are particularly popular release days for business podcasts, with Wednesday having a slight edge last year. Thinking about it from a listener perspective, that makes sense. For business or professional podcasts, a lot of people aren't going to be doing work stuff on the weekends. And Monday is going to be busy getting the week going, lots of emails to catch up on. And by Friday, everyone's pretty much ready for a break. So all things being equal, midweek tends to be really effective. But the other consideration is your own workflow and team bandwidth. If you have a huge report due every Thursday, then it might make a lot more sense to work on your episodes Fridays and release them on Mondays. You don't need people to listen the second an episode drops in the vast majority of instances. If someone catches it later, that's fine. It's still serving its purpose. You'll also generally want to be more proactive about getting people to listen than just hoping they'll tune in on release day anyway. You can be sending emails any day of the week or arranging your social promotions to be more midweek when more people are listening to podcasts or when more of the other shows are releasing theirs. But really, the most important thing is a schedule that is consistent that you and your team can keep to over time. Thank you for joining me this week. As always, I'm your host, Megan Doherty, and the Business Podcast Blueprint Show was created by the whole team at One Stone Creative. We're all extremely excited right now about the upcoming Podcasting for Business conference, where you can get all of the insight, information, and networking you need to make your show a value-generating machine for your business. Learn more and register for your ticket at pfbcon.com. That's pfbcon.com.